Chapter 25, Part 3 of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Neulbaugh, King Louis the Seventeenth. It happened further that Dr. Newdar pressed to his lips the hand that reached him the precious gift, and that upon this hand two tears fell from the eyes of the physician, only accustomed to look upon human misery and pain, and which had not for years been suffused with moisture. Just then, approaching steps being heard in the corridor, the doctor rose quickly, concealed the pears in his pocket, and entered the chamber of the sick woman at the same instant when Simon returned from his visit above stairs. The boy slipped with the doctor into the sitting-room, and as no one paid any attention to him, he stole softly into his room, crouched down upon his straw bed with fluttering heart to think over all he had experienced or dreamed of that day. "'And how is it with our sick one today?' asked Dr. Newdaw, sitting down near the bed and giving a friendly nod to Simon to do the same. "'It goes badly with me,' moaned Mistress Simon. "'My heart seems to be on fire, and I have no rest day or night. I believe that it is all over with me, and that I shall die, and that is the best thing for me, for then I shall be free again, and not have to endure the torments that I have had to undergo in this dreadful dungeon.' "'What kind of pains are they?' asked the doctor. "'Where do you suffer?' "'I will tell you, citizen doctor,' cried Simon impatiently. "'Her pains are everywhere, in every corner of this lonely and cursed building, "'and if it goes on so long, we shall have to pack and move. "'The authorities have done us both a great honour, "'for they have had confidence enough in us to give the little capet into our charge, "'but it is our misfortune to be so honoured, and we shall both die of it for not to make a long story of it we both cannot endure the air of the prison the stillness and solitude and it is a dreadful thing for us to see nothing else the whole day than the stupid face of this youngster always looking at me so dreadfully with his great blue eyes that it really affects one we are neither of us used to such an idle useless life and it will be the death of us citizen doctor my wife jeanie marie whom you see lying there so pale and still used to be the liveliest and most nimble woman about and could do as much with her strong arms and brown hands as four other women and then she was the bravest and most outrageous republican that ever was when it came to battling for the people we both helped to storm the bastille both went to versailles that time and afterward took the wolf's brood from the tuileries and brought them to the convention afterward jeanie marie was always the first on the platform near the guillotine and when samson and his assistants mounted the scaffold in the morning and waited for the cars the first thing they did was to look over to the tribune to see if mistress simon was there with her knitting for it used to seem to them that the work of hewing off heads went more briskly on if jeanie marie was there and kept the account in her stocking samson himself told me this and said to me that jeanie marie was the bravest of all the women and that she never trembled that her eyes never turned away however many heads fell into the basket and she was there too when the austrian hush cried jeanie marie 
rising up hastily in bed and motioning to her husband to be silent do not speak of that least the youngster hear it and turn his dreadful eyes upon us do not speak of that fearful day for it was then that my sickness began and i believe that there was poison in the brandy that we drank that evening yes yes there was poison in it and from that comes the fire that burns my heart and i shall die of it oh i shall burn to death with it she put her hands before her face and sank back upon the pillows sobbing simon shook his head and heaved a deep sigh it is not that murmured he it is not from that doctor the thing is that jeanie marie has no work and no exercise and that she is going to wreck because we are compelled to live here as kings and aristocrats used to live without labor and occupation and without doing any more than to nurse our fancies we shall all die of this i tell you but if you know this citizen why do you not give up your situation why do you not petition the authorities to dismiss you from the service and give you something else to do i have done that twice already answered simon bringing his fist down upon the table near the bed so violently that the bottles of medicine standing there were jerked high into the air twice already have i tried to be transferred to some other duty and the answer has been sent back that the country orders me to stand at my post and that there is no one who could take my place that is very honourable and flattering remarked the physician yes but very burdensome and disagreeable answered simon we are prisoners while holding these honourable and flattering posts we can no more leave the temple than Campay can for since his father died and the crazy legitimists began to call him king louis the seventeenth the chief magistrate and the convention have been very anxious they are afraid of secret conspiracies and consider it possible that the little prisoner may be taken away from here by intrigue we have to watch him day and night therefore and are never allowed to leave the temple least we should meet with other people and least the legitimists should make the attempt to get into our good graces would you believe citizen and doctor that they did not even allow me to go to the grand festival which the city of paris gave in honor of the taking of toulon while all the people were shouting and having a good time jeanie marie and i had to stay here in this good-for-nothing temple and see and hear nothing of the fine doings and this drives the gall into my blood it will make us both sick to this past endurance i believe that you are right citizen said the physician thoughtfully yes the whole trouble of your wife comes from the fact that she is here in the temple and if she must be shut up here always she will continue to suffer yes to suffer always to suffer dreadfully groaned jeanie marie then all at once she raised herself up and turned with a commanding bearing to her husband simon she said the doctor shall know all that i suffer he shall examine my breast and the place where i have the greatest pain but in your presence i shall say nothing well well i will go growled simon but i think those are pretty manners they are the manners of a respectable and honourable woman said the doctor gravely a woman who does not show the pains and ailments of her body to any one excepting her physician go go citizen simon and you will esteem your good wife none the less for not letting you hear what she has to say to her old physician no certainly not answered simon and that you may both see that i am not curious to hear what you have to say to one another i will go with the youngster up to the platform and remain a whole hour with him you will beat him again and i shall hear him said jeanie marie weeping i hear everything now that goes on in the temple and whenever you strike the youngster i feel every blow in my brain and that gives me pain enough to drive me to distraction 
I promise you, Jeannie Marie, that I will not strike him and will not trouble myself about him at all. He can play with his ball. Hello, Capet, come. We are going up on the platform. Take your ball and anything else you like, but you shall play today and have a good time. The child stole out of his room with his ball, not looking particularly delighted, and the prospect of playing did not give wings to his steps, nor call a smile to his swollen face. He left the room noiselessly, and Simon slammed the doors violently behind him. And now we are alone, said Dr. Newdaw, and you can tell me about your sickness and about everything that troubles you. Ah, oh, doctor, I do not dare to, she whispered. I am overpowered by a dreadful fear, and I think you will betray me and bring my husband and myself to the scaffolds. I am no betrayer, answered the doctor solemnly. The physician is like a priest. He receives the secrets and disclosures of his patients and lets not a word of them pass his lips. But, in order that you may take courage, I will first prove to you that I put confidence in you by showing you that I understand you. I will tell you what the disease is that you are suffering from, and also its locality. Jeannie Marie Simon, you are enduring that with which no pains of the body can be compared. Your sickness has its seat in the conscience, and its name is remorse and despair. Jeannie Marie uttered a heart-rending cry and sprang like an exasperated tiger from her bed. You lie, she said, seizing the doctor's arm with both hands. That is a foul, damnable calumny that you have fought out merely to bring me under the axe. I have nothing to be sorry for, and my conscience fills me with no reproaches. And yet it is gnawing into you with iron teeth, which have been heated blood-red in the fires of hell said the doctor, with a compassionate look at the pale, quivering face of the woman. Do not raise any quarrel, but quietly listen to me. We have an hour's time to talk together, and we want to use it, but let us speak softly, softly together, for what we have to say to each other the deaf walls themselves ought not to hear. Simon had not returned from the platform with the boy when Dr. Newdaw ended his long and earnest conversation and prepared to leave his patient, who was now quietly lying in her bed. You know everything now that you have to do, he said, extending his hand to her. You can reckon on me as I reckon you, and we will both go bravely and cheerfully on. It is a noble work that we have undertaken, and if it succeeds, your heart will be laid again, and God will forgive you your sins, for two martyrs will stand and plead in your behalf at the throne of God. Now do everything exactly as I have told you, and speak with your husband tonight, but not sooner, that you may be safe, and for fear that in his first panic his face would betray him. I shall do everything just as you wish, said Jeannie Marie, who had suddenly become humble and bashful, apparently entirely forgetful of the Republican thou. It seems to me, now that I have disburdened my heart to you, that I have become well and strong again, and certainly I shall owe it to you if I do live and get my health once more. But shall you come again tomorrow, doctor? No, he replied, I will send a man tomorrow who understands better than I do how to continue this matter, and to whom you can give unconditional confidence. He will announce himself to you as my assistant, and you can talk over at length everything that we have been speaking of. Hush, I hear Simon coming. Farewell. He nodded to Jeannie Marie, and hastily left the room. Outside, in the corridor, he met Simon and his silent young ward. Well, citizen doctor, asked Simon, how is it with our sick one? She has entrusted all her secrets to you, and they must have made a long story, for you have been a whole hour together. It is fortunate that you are an old man, or else I should have been jealous of your long tete-a-tete -tete with my wife. Then you would be a great 
fool, and I have always held you to be a prudent and good man, but as concerns your wife, I must tell you something very serious, and I beg you, Citizen Simon, to mark my words well. I tell you this, unless your wife, Judy Marie, is out of this temple in less than a week and enjoys her freedom, she will either lose her senses or take her life. I will say to you this, besides, if Citizen Simon does not, as soon as possible, leave this cursed place and give up his hateful business it will be the same with him as with his wife he will not become insane but he will lapse into melancholy and if he does not take his own life consumption will take it for him the result of his idle listless life the many vexations here and the wretched atmosphere of the temple consumption cried simon horrified do you suppose i am exposed to that you have it already said the doctor solemnly those red spots on your cheeks and the pain which you have so often in the breast announce its approach i tell you that if you do not take measures to leave the temple in a week in three months you will be a dead man without giving the guillotine a chance at you good-bye consider well what i say citizen and then do as you like he is right muttered simon as he looked after the doctor with a horrified look as new descended the staircase yes i see he is right if i have to stay here any longer i shall die the vexations and the loneliness and something still more dreadful frightful that i can tell no one of have made me sick and the stitch in my side will grow worse and worse every day and i must and will get away from here he said aloud and with a decided air i will not die yet neither shall jeanie marie to-morrow i will hand in my resignation and then be away while simon was walking slowly and thoughtfully toward his wife dr newdall left the dark building went with a light heart out into the street and returned with a quick step to the hotel dieu the porter who opened the door for him reported to him that during his absence the same old gentleman who had come the day before to insult him had returned and was waiting for him in the anteroom dr newdaw nodded and then walked quickly toward his own apartments before the door he found his servant old dr Sunier is here again he said taking off his master's cloak he insisted on waiting for you he said that he must consult you about a patient and would not cease begging you till you should consent to accompany him to the sick person's house for if a case seemed desperate the good new dom might still save it you are an ass for letting him talk such nonsense and for believing it yourself citizen jolly cried new daw with a laugh and then entering the anteroom an old gentleman clad in the same old-fashioned costume with dr new daw came forward citizen jolly as he closed the door somewhat slowly heard him say thank god that you have come at last citizen i have waited for you impatiently and now i conjure you to accompany me as quickly as possible to my patient new daw opening the door of his study said in reply come in citizen Sunier, and tell me first how it is with your sick one nothing more could jolly new daw's servant understand for the two doctors had gone into the study and the door was closed behind them after a short time however it was opened new daw ordered the valet to order a tioc at once and a few minutes later director new daw rode away at the side of dr Sunier. At a house in the Rue Montmartre, the carriage stopped, and the two physicians entered. The porter, opening the little dusty window of his lodge, nodded confidentially to Sunier. That is probably the celebrated Dr. New Da of the Hotel Dieu, whom you have with you, he asked. Yes, it is he, answered Sunier, and if anybody can help our patient, it is he. 
Citizen Kaj is probably at home. Certainly he is at home, for you know he never leaves his sick boy. You will find him above. You know the way, Citizen Doctor. The two physicians passed on, ascended the staircase, and entered the suite of rooms whose door was only partially closed, left ajar, as it seemed, for them. Nobody came to meet them, but they carefully closed the door behind them, drew the bolt, and then walked silently and quickly across the anteroom to the opposite door. Dr. Sinier knocked softly three times with a slight interval between, and cried three times with a loud voice, The two physicians are come to see the patient. A bolt was withdrawn on the inside, the door opened, and a tall man's figure appeared and motioned to the gentleman to come in. Are we alone? whispered Dr. Sunier as they entered the inner room. Yes, entirely alone, answered the other. There in the chamber lies my poor sick boy, and you know well that he can betray no one, and that he knows nothing of what is going on around him. Yes, unfortunately I know that, answered Dr. Sunier sadly. I promised you that I would bring you the most celebrated and skillful physician in Paris, and you see I keep my word, for I have brought you Dr. Nuda, the director of the Hotel Dieu, and the friend and devoted servant of the royal family, to whom we have both sworn allegiance until death. Dr. Nuda, I have not given you the name of the gentleman to whom I was taking you. It is a secret which only the possessor is able to divulge to you. I divulge it, said the other, smiling. Dr. Nuda, I am the Marquis Jorge. Jorge, who made the plan for the escape of the royal family in the temple, asked Nuda eagerly. Marquis Jorge, who lost his property in the service of the queen, risked his life in her deliverance, and perhaps escaped the guillotine merely by emigrating and putting himself beyond the reach of Robespierre. Are you that loyal, courageous Marquis de Jorge? I am Jorge, and I thank you for the praises you have given me, but I cannot accept them in the presence of him who merits them all much more than I do, and who is more worthy of praise than anyone else. No, I can receive no commendation in the presence of Toulon, the most loyal, the bravest, the most prudent of us all, for Toulon is the soul of everything, and our murder queen confessed it in giving him the highest of all titles of honor, and calling him Fidel, a title which will remain for centuries. Yes, you are right, said Dr. Newdall, laying his hand on the shoulder of Dr. Sunier. He is the noblest, most loyal, and bravest of us all. On that account, when he came to me a few days ago and showed me the gold and salt bottle of the queen in confirmation of his statement that he was too long, I was ready to do everything that he might desire of me, and to enter into all his plans, for Toulon's magnanimity and fidelity are contagious, and excite everyone to emulate him. I beg you, gentlemen, said Toulon softly, do not praise me, nor think that to be heroism which is merely natural. I have devoted to Queen Marie Antoinette my life, my thought, my heart. I swore upon her hand that so long as I lived I would be true to her and her family, and to keep my vow was simple enough. Queen Marie Antoinette is no more. I was not able to save her, but perhaps she looks down from the heavenly heights upon us and is satisfied with us. If she sees that we are now trying to do for her son what, unfortunately, we were not able to accomplish for her, 
This is my hope, and this spurs Rue on to attempt everything in order to bring about the last wish of my queen, the freeing of her son. God in his grace has willed that I should not be alone in this effort, and that I should have the cooperation of noblemen. He visibly blesses our plan, for is it not a manifest sign of his blessing that, exactly in those days when we were trying to find a means of approaching the unhappy imprisoned son of the queen, accident affords us this means? Exactly at the hour when I went to Dr. New Da and disclosed myself to him, the porter of the temple came and desired in behalf of Simon's wife that Dr. New Da should go to the temple. Yes, indeed, it was a wonderful occurrence, said New Da thoughtfully. I am not over-blessed with sensibility, but when I saw the son of the queen in his sorrow and humiliation, I sank on my knee before the poor little king, and in my heart I swore that Tula should find in me a faithful cogitator in his plan, and that I would do everything to set him free. And so have I too sworn, cried George with enthusiasm. The queen is dead, but our fidelity to her lives and shall renew itself to her son, King Louis the Seventeenth. I know well that the police are watching me, that they know who is secreting himself here under the name of Citizen Raj, that they follow every one of my steps and perhaps suffer me to be free only for the purpose of seeing with whom I have relations, in order to arrest and destroy me at one fell swoop with all my friends at the same time but we must use the time i have come here with the firm determination of delivering the unhappy young king from the hands of his tormentors and i will now confess everything to you my friends i have gained for our undertaking the assistance and protection of a rich and noble patron a true servant of the deceased king the Prince de Condé, with whom I have lived in Vendée for the past few months, has furnished me with ample means, and is prepared to support us to any extent in our undertaking. If we succeed in saving the young king, the latter will find in Vendée a safe asylum with the prince, and will live there securely, surrounded by his faithful subjects. The immense difficulty, or, as I should have said a few days ago, the impossibility, is the release of the young prince from the temple. But now that I have succeeded in discovering Toulon and uniting myself with him, I no longer say it is impossible, but only it is difficult. And, cried Toulon, since I am sure of the assistance of the noble Dr. Nuda, I say we will free him, the son of our queen Marie Antoinette, the young king Louis the Seventeenth. The plan is entirely ready in my head, and in order to make its execution possible, I went a few days ago to see Dr. Nuda at the Hotel Dieu, in order to beg him to visit the sick boy that the Marquis has here, and just at that moment Simon's messenger came to the temple. Dr. Nuda is now here, and first of all, it is necessary that he give us his last, decisive judgment on the patient. So take us to him, Marquis, for upon Nuda's decision depends the fate of the young king of France. The Marquis nodded silently, and conducted the gentleman into the next room. There, carefully propped up by mattresses and pillows, lay a child of perhaps ten years, a poor, unfortunate boy, with pale, sunken cheeks, fixed blue eyes, short, fair hair, and a stupid, idiotic expression on his features. As the three gentlemen came to him, he fixed his eyes upon them in a cold, indifferent way, and not a quiver in his face disclosed any interest in them. Motionless and pale as 
death, the boy lay upon his bed, and only the breath that came hot and in gasps from his breast disclosed that there was still life in this poor shattered frame. Dr. New Da stooped down to the boy and looked at him a long time with the utmost attention. This boy is perfectly deaf, he then said, raising himself up and looking at the Marquis inquiringly. Yes, doctor, your sharp eye has correctly discerned it. He is perfectly deaf. Is it your son? No, doctor, he is the son of my sister, the Baroness of Tardif, who was guillotined together with her husband. I undertook the care of this unfortunate child, and at my removal from Paris, gave him to some faithful servants of my family to be cared for. On my return, I learned that the good people had both been guillotined, and find the poor boy, who before had been at least sound in body, utterly neglected, and living on the sympathy of the people who had taken him on the death of his foster parents. I brought the child at once to this house, which I had hired for myself under the name of Citizen Arage, and to law undertook to procure the help of a physician. It has now come in the person of the celebrated Dr. Newdaw, and I beg to have pity on the poor unfortunate child, and to receive him into the hotel due. Let me first examine the child in order to tell you what is the nature of his disorder. And Dr. New Daw stooped down again to the boy, examined his eyes, his chest, his whole form, listened to his breathing, the action of his heart, and felt his pulse. The patient was entirely apathetic during all this, now and then merely whining and groaning, when a movement of the doctor's hand caused him pain. After the careful investigation had been ended, the doctor called the two gentlemen who had withdrawn to the window to the bed again. Marquis, said he, this unfortunate child will never recover, and the least painful thing that could happen to him would be a speedy release from his miserable lot. Yet I do not believe that this will occur, but consider it possible that the boy will protract his unfortunate life a full year after his mind has entirely passed away, and nothing is left of him but his body. The boy, if you can regard such a poor creature as a human being is suffering from an incurable form of scrofula, which will by and by consume his limbs and convert him into an idiot. He is now deaf, he will be a mere stupid beast. If it were permitted to substitute the hand of science in place of the hand of God, I should say we ought to kill this poor creature that is no man and no beast, and has nothing more to expect of life than pain and torture, having no more consciousness of anything than the dog has when he does not get a bone with which to quiet his hunger. Poor unhappy creature, sighed the Marquis. And now I thank God that he released my sister from the pain of seeing her dear child in this condition. Dr. Newdaw, said Tula solemnly, is it your fixed conviction that the sick person will never recover? My firm and undoubted conviction, which every physician who should see him would share with me. Are you of the opinion that this child has nothing in life to lose, and that death would be a gain to it? Yes, that is my belief. Death would be a release for the poor creature, for life is only a burden to it as well as to others. Then, cried Tula solemnly, I will give this poor sick child a higher and a fairer mission. I will make its life an advantage to others, and its death a hollowed sacrifice. Marquis of Georges, in the name of King Louis the Seventeenth, in the name of the exalted martyr to whom we have all sworn fidelity unto death, Queen Marie Antoinette, I demand and desire of you that you would entrust to me this unhappy creature, and give his life into my hands. In the name of Marie Antoinette, I demand of the Marquis of Georges that he deliver to me the son of his sister, that he do what every one of us is joyfully prepared to do if our holy cause demands it, that this boy may give his life for his king, the imprisoned Louis the Seventeenth. 
while Tula was speaking with his earnest, solemn voice, Jorge knelt before the bed of the poor, sobbing child, and hiding his face in his hands, he prayed softly. Then, after a long pause, he rose and laid his hand on the feverish brow of the boy. "'You have addressed me,' he said, in the name of Queen Marie Antoinette. "'You demand of me as the guardian of this poor creature that I give him to you, that he may give his life for his king. The sons and daughters of my house have always been ready and glad to devote their possessions, their happiness, their lives to the service of their kings, and I speak simply in the spirit of my sister.' who ascended the scaffold to seal her fidelity to the royal family with her death. I speak in the spirit of all my ancestors when I say, Here is the last offspring of the Baroness of Tardif. Here is the son of my sister. Take him and let him live or die for his king, Louis the Seventeenth, the prisoner at the temple. End of chapter 25, part 3. Read by Ella Barnett.